0: I'm going to make my yearly appeal to parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, whoever you are, don't lie to your children about Santa Claus. Don't do it. People have different ways of celebrating the holidays, but don't make a lie a part of it. Because when you tell your children that some fellow with a beard and a mustache comes from the North Pole on a sleigh pulled by reindeer and goes all over the world and drops presents into every good girl and boy's chimney, at some point that little child is going to be sharp enough to figure out the math on that. And he's also going to watch reindeer on National Geographic Channel and say they don't fly. And then what's going to happen when you try to tell them about Jesus? They're going to say, Mom and Dad lied to me about Santa Claus. I'm not real sure they're lying to me and not about Jesus. Another reason not to do that is you work awfully hard during the year to make your money. And you spend a lot of that money on presents for your children, not just at this time of year, but for the birthdays and other things. And you do it because you love them. I hope that's why you buy them, those things. And you don't want to give credit to some fellow who didn't earn a dime and doesn't even exist. So there you go. And take that for what you will. If it makes you upset, that's okay. I've had people upset at me over telling them the truth before. We're in 2 Kings chapter 12. Last week, we studied the charge that King Jehoash, who is also Joash, gave to the priests concerning the house of the Lord. Specifically, what they were to do with the money that came in from the offerings of the people. Now I want you to picture yourself as being of the nation of Israel at this time. You are these people. You have been under the wicked rule of Athaliah for eight years. And now you have a king who is on the throne, and he's been on there for some time, as we'll see in our text. And this king has... Uh, ordered that the house of the Lord have the breaches repaired and that the money be used to, to do that. He's trying to rouse the nation up to revival. And so you're these people because Israel is a type of the church, and we learn a lot about us by learning about Israel. So we're going to continue right into verse 5 in Second Kings chapter 12, verse 5. Where King Jehoash says to the priests, let the priests take it, that's the money, to them, every man of his acquaintance, and let them repair the breaches of the house, wheresoever any breach shall be found. These priests had to be specifically instructed to repair the breaches, wheresoever any breach shall be found. Now a breach is a gap. It's a leak. If it's in a ship, then water comes in. If it's a gap, then air comes in. And had these priests been faithfully serving the Lord and tending to the Lord's house, there would not have been breaches. There might have been a breach, but a faithful servant of the Lord would have repaired that breach. So it didn't become a larger breach or there weren't breaches. You can't have breaches if you repair every breach, can you? You never get from the singular to the plural. So breaches suggest that there were multiple breaches. It suggests that the finances that came in for the Lord's house had been misappropriated. They had not been used for the purpose they were supposed to be used. And allowing a breach to become breaches... Is It clearly tells us that the first breach was not repaired, even though the money was there to do it. The money the people gave to the house of the Lord. Now, that's you, the people, giving the money to the house of the Lord. Both then and now, that money is the Lord's. And if a man can't be trusted with his master's money, then how can that man be trusted with greater spiritual matters. He can't. There are people every day who send their money to some charlatan on TV or perhaps they take it to a house of worship, a religious assembly of some kind, and give it hoping that it's used for the correct purpose. And so often it's not. Listen to what the Lord Jesus taught us about this. In the parable of the money in Luke chapter 19, verse 17, Jesus told us that this master in this parable said something to his faithful servant. He had a servant who was faithful over some money his master had given him. And he said, well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, thou... Have thou authority over ten cities. Money was a little thing to that master. But the faithfulness over that money was not a little thing. Now to men, money is a big deal. But to God it's not, because it all belongs to him anyway. He never needed money to do his work. He doesn't need money. In fact, he doesn't need us to do his work. He can do everything himself. But that's not what he's ordained. That's not the plan that he made according to the Bible. And because it all belongs to him, for him to command that we return a portion of it, a portion of it to his work, is not unreasonable at all. It's something we ought to be glad to do. And therefore to the priests in Joash's day, It should have been a small thing for them to be faithful with the Lord's money and with his house. So no wonder there were breaches, both in the Lord's house physically and in the nation of Israel spiritually. And those breaches, those gaps or leaks in the Lord's house are like spiritual breaches or gaps in the lives of The children of Israel, and that's us too. And when we leave off teaching the whole counsel of the Bible, God's word, even when Athaliah is on the throne, then we leave breaches in the understanding of the people. And if there was ever a time the children of Israel needed someone to close those gaps, to fill in those breaches, repair them in their spiritual lives, it was then. It was when they were under the reign of a wicked queen. You know, the children of Israel have a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle, and they only have a few sections of it put together. Because there are so many breaches, not just in the walls of the house of the Lord, but in their own understanding. When my daughter Sarah and I put a puzzle together, we work on separate sections. We like to get those thousand piece frustrating, every piece looks alike puzzle. The colors blend in and they're hard. But we enjoy doing that, at least for a while. And I may get 10 or 12 pieces to fit together. I have no idea where they belong in the puzzle, but I know they go together here. And she may find a corner and get it done. But our sections don't connect. And it's because there are breaches in them. There are places where we haven't filled in the other pieces. And they have to be joined together by other pieces. So the sections can be joined together. And finally, the entire puzzle is complete a relative gave us a present one year, and it was a a jigsaw puzzle, and it had, oh, I don't know, 500, 600 pieces in it, and we, and she said, don't look at the inside of the box where the answer is for what this puzzle's supposed to look like. Now, that made it hard, didn't it? Usually, you have a, a picture, and then you try to make the puzzle look like that, you can get some assistance. Well, we had no idea. Well, what it was, was a picture of my three girls. It was a photograph of my three girls, and it had been made into a jigsaw puzzle. So until we put every single piece together, we couldn't see the entire photograph of all three girls, and it was wonderful. Well, the understanding of the Bible is no different than that. There are lots of pieces and there are lots of sections of those that have those pieces joined, but there's only one way for them all to harmonize, for you to see the entire photograph, and that's if they're all joined together. And that's the task and the calling of a Bible teacher, of a pastor. And it was the task of our priests as well. To whom was the Word of God entrusted? It was entrusted to the Levites. And they were to teach it to the people. And the fathers were to teach it to their children and and be examples of it in their own households. And to represent God to the people through His Word and then the people back to God was the job of the priest. And they represented God to the people through the ordinances and the sacrifices. And in doing that, if they did it right, they would begin assembling those pieces of the puzzle into sections and increasing the understanding of the people, removing those breaches, those gaps, so that when the scriptures were fulfilled, those pieces would finally be joined together. Now, that creates an interesting image. Listen to what John chapter 19 teaches us, this is found in John 19, verses 31 through 37. And it teaches us how the Lord Jesus Christ joined these breaches and understanding, joined these sections together to get rid of the breaches. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Now this is the scene at the cross where Jesus was hanging between the two thieves. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not. His legs. That prophecy is found in Psalm 34, verses 19 through 20, and I'll read it in just a moment. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bare record, and his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. Now listen to this. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Now that's Psalm twenty-two sixteen. So I'm going to read Psalm 34, 19 through 20. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. David wrote that hundreds of years before Jesus died on the cross. Psalm twenty-two sixteen, 16, which David also wrote, For dogs, that's the Gentiles, have come past me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Now, did David have his hands and his feet pierced? No, that's not how he died. So he must have been talking about someone else. He was prophesying about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you go back at the time that David lived, in his time, these two passages in the Psalms were written to tell people how Jesus would die, that the Gentiles would do it, and that none of this man's bones would be broken, and that he would be pierced. And this was hundreds of years before Jesus was born as a man. Those Psalms were sections of a puzzle that would not be joined together in the understanding of the people until those prophecies were fulfilled. And going back to that passage I read you in John chapter 19, where it says, For these things were done, that the Scriptures should be fulfilled, carries the same understanding as this breach of understanding that you had concerning what David wrote would be joined together in Jesus because he left no breaches in his doctrine. The scripture might be fulfilled. In other words, that scripture that was written by David inspired by the Holy Spirit, those were sections. And all of these things that that Jesus was pierced, that his bones were not broken, these things were done that those other sections might be joined together, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, and therefore the breaches in the understanding of the people would be repaired. They would be sealed. And now if that's the case, if Jesus left us no breaches in doctrine, how then are there breaches in our doctrine today? Jesus didn't leave them same as there were in the days of the apostles. The Pharisees knew the Old Testament prophecies. They were doctors of the law. But they denied that Jesus was the Messiah. They looked him right in the face. They saw the miracles that he did. They listened to the proclamation he made about himself. And yet they denied he was the Messiah. And even one of the priests said it is expedient that one should die for the sins of the nation. That man, Jesus, came to do that. So they willingly had breaches in their understanding, even though the fulfillment of that scripture was right before their eyes in those days. So if somebody tells you, well, I would," maybe I'd believe if I could actually see it for myself. No, they wouldn't. The Pharisees didn't, and many others didn't. And they wouldn't do it today. They denied that Jesus was the consolation of Israel. Yet Simeon, that devout Jew who God allowed to live so that he could see the consolation of Israel, he blessed Jesus when he was a baby. And the one true deliverer was held there in his hands. But whether it's through unbelief or just pure laziness today, many so-called teachers and pastors are content to let those breaches remain. And that hurts the people in the congregations. It really does. It hurts people. It's not funny. It's not cool. It's, it's not uh, anything other than unrighteous. And both the priests in Joash's day, the apostles in the first century A.D., and the pastors today have something in common. If they want to repair these breaches, they've got to be content in teaching the truth that was entrusted to them. If a Bible teacher is not content teaching the Bible, then he's not a Bible teacher. He's something else. He's an entertainer. He's a good speaker. He may be all sorts of other things, maybe a really nice guy with a big heart. But a Bible teacher is content teaching the Bible. A true Bible teacher is content teaching the Bible and doesn't need any other outside uh, text. For example, if the, if the Mormon church were content with the Bible, then they wouldn't use the Pearl of Great Price or the Book of Mormon as their additional so-called supplementary scriptures. They'd be content with teaching the Bible. Now... Looking at our text, should a spiritually mature, content, godly priest have to be told to be sure and use the Lord's money for the Lord's house? Should somebody have to tell him that? Of course not. When you pay your tithes and you give your offerings to this church, it should be understood by both the giver and the ones who receive and deposit and spend the money. That that money is to be used for the Lord's work. That ought to be understood. You don't have to say when you put your offering down here or you send it in uh, through Venmo or by mail or however you do it, now you be sure and use this to pay the electricity bill at the church or keep Bibles in stock or... Uh, Be sure and keep our sound equipment uh, going, or whatever it may be. You might direct your offering to a special area, like purchasing land in Nigeria for Brother Wisdom's ministry, for maybe paying for gospel tracts to be printed in the Cebuano language in the Philippines, or supporting the com website. But what you should not have to do when you make those contributions, is to write a note to knowimsaved.com and say, now be sure you use this money for the furtherance of the Lord's kingdom. That part's already understood, but not so with the priests in our text. Now look back in the text, Second Kings 12, and at the end of verse 5, he said, let them repair the breaches of the house. Look at this next part. Wheresoever any breach shall be found. This is important too. Wheresoever any breach shall be found, any breach. At my house, which is 18 years old, there are little breaches in the caulking around the windows and under my door thresholds, little spaces. And that happens the older your house, older your house gets, unless you're a fanatic about keeping up with all of those things, and I'm not. I don't caulk second-story windows in the middle of the summer because I see a little gap up there. I just pay the upcharge in the electric bill, and maybe one day I'll get to it. But a little cold air escapes during the summer. You know, cold air sinks. It'll escape out of those breaches in the summer, make my air air conditioning bill, electricity bill a little bit higher And in the winter, a little cold air comes in, makes the natural gas cost go up just a little bit. And the only way I'll ever be able to completely seal my house is to repair every single one of those breaches, wheresoever any breach may be found. If I don't, I can't say my house is completely sealed. Now let's say, well, these breaches in my house... Those aren't that big a deal. But the ones that happen in the church are. The ones that happened in the house of the Lord in Joash's day were. Remember, the word breach means a gap or a leak. And we talked about breaches in biblical doctrine. Those sections that are here and here and there are gaps in the understanding. But there's another kind of breach... That normally doesn't have to do with a lack of understanding. It has to do with a lack of obedience. And those breaches are in biblical standards. I'm not talking about preferences that one pastor has or another one has, I'm talking about biblical standards. And we want everything to be done decently and in order in the Lord's house. That's a biblical standard. That's what the Apostle Paul said. We want to encourage and preach holy living to God's people. Not what I think is holy, but what the Lord said is holy living. And we want to have scriptural expectations of those who serve in positions of leadership and responsibility in our church. Now, I'll use me for an example Or this position. Let's say for a moment, we had an associate pastor who had a Facebook page. And on his Facebook page, he posted and reposted messages that had vulgar language in them. Profanity. And furthermore, when that associate pastor was confronted with his sin, he became angry and told people, You mind your own business long as I don't curse at church, it shouldn't be a big deal to you. Now that's a breach. That's a breach in biblical standards. And what happens if we allow that associate pastor to continue that sinful behavior? We just ignore that breach and yet we let him still teach the Bible. Well, we're going to have another breach if we do that. A church member may say, well, If the associate pastor can do that on Facebook, so can I. It must not be that bad. And now what do we have? We have a member using filthy communication, too. And then another. And another. And then that associate pastor says, you know what? They didn't make a big deal about what I put on Facebook. I think I'll just get up here and start talking like I want to talk. One breach never stays one breach. And it doesn't stay the same size either. It always results in more and more and more. When a breach is allowed to go unrepaired, another one is sure to happen, and then another and another. Brother Roloff, Brother Lester Roloff, you young people don't know who he is unless you've read about him, but he was a fantastic Baptist preacher, and he was not a hypocrite. He was the same seven days a week. He never he never had a scandal, ever. Now, some of the people working in his homes did, but not Brother Roloff. And he had a piano player at a church where he pastored, and he found out that his piano player was a smoker. And so he said, you're going to have to either quit smoking or quit playing the piano. I'm not going to have you playing the piano and being a smoker. Well, she had a rebellious spirit, and she told him, She said, I'm going to smoke, and you don't have anybody else in this church who knows how to play the piano but me. So instead of leaving the breach unrepaired and saying, well, you're you're right, sister, I don't. I'll I'll let you keep playing the piano, and you just smoke all you want to and throw your cigarettes out here on the parking lot and whatever you want to do because you're a good piano player. Boy, he didn't do that. In fact, he told her, I'll bust that pen up into splinters and throw every last one of them out that window before I'm going to have a piano player who smokes. So you got to make your mind up. Now he repaired the breach rather than letting another one pop up. Our text said, let them repair the breaches of the house wheresoever, wheresoever, any breach shall be found. They were not to let the slightest, smallest even the most unnoticeable breach, go unrepaired. And what a good lesson for us that is. Because you know what that does? That also extends to our personal lives, doesn't it? Our own lives. You don't need to search around and say, well, I wonder what old Brother Andy's breaches are. you got some. Take care of yours. Tend to the rats in your own barn, as we might say in West Texas. And I'll tend to the rats in mine. I've got breaches and so do you. Close them up, repair them, don't let them sit. The devil loves that. That's his playground. Verse 6, but it was so that in the three and twentieth year of King Jehoash, the priest had not repaired the breaches of the house. The word but. Anytime we read of a righteous command in one verse, and then the word but in the very next verse, verse, we know trouble is brewing, don't we? We know disobedience is right around the corner, and it was, because it said in the three and twentieth year of King Joash. In other words, he had been on the throne now 23 years, and these priests had still not repaired the breaches in the house. Now, what we don't know is how long Joash had been on the throne when he gave the command to repair the breaches. But whatever the time period was, was long enough for him to have called those priests to account. This group of priests reminded me of most politicians today. They take the people's money, and they don't do what they're supposed to with it. Whether it's political contributions that you willingly give, or taxes that you unwillingly give, pay. And that is no less than fraud. So it seems to me that the priests either ignored the command or they modified the command. Now, I got a kick out of my two granddaughters yesterday I wouldn't have got a kick out of it if they were my children, but they're grandchildren, so I did. And uh, my wife had told one of them, she said, all right, get up and uh, help me make up your pallet on the floor. And so the little one sat there, and she stayed on her, whatever she was doing, for just a few more seconds. It seemed like an eternity to her sister who told on her. So when the little one got up, and went over and did what she was told to do. The other sister said, "You did hear what she said. You just didn't do it right away." So, now they love to tell on each other. They're like they're good news reporters. They don't miss a, a detail at all. So, what did the little one do? She might say, "Well, I obeyed because I did what BB, that's what they call her, BB said." I just modified it. I didn't do it right away. I finished up what I was doing first, and then I got to her to-do list after that. But to her sister, who was correct, the obedience wasn't immediate. And you've heard this before, and I agree with it. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Every time. And so we have these priests who maybe reasoned among themselves, I can't read their minds, but I know how man thinks, so do you. Maybe they reasoned, well, it's going to take a long time to finish this large-scale effort of repairing eight years' worth of breaches in the Lord's house. A lot of work to do. So we're going to have to have meetings and form committees and vote on solutions and brainstorm and do all of that in my career as both a government employee and a private business owner and I recommend all government employees work in the private sector first it makes you a lot better government employee by the way because if you don't work you don't eat if you don't do well you lose customers and if every government employee had that attitude that I'm gonna work like I'm supposed to every day and I'm gonna do it right then we wouldn't have government employee jokes would we but in my career I have been on my fair share of committees and work groups and you may have had this same experience, but I'll tell you mine, that the majority of the people in those groups and on those committees were content to let a small number of others do all the work. And if the minority of us didn't do the work, they were also content to not let the work get done. And if you know me, you can imagine how frustrated I was. And in that group of priests, there apparently was not a Joshua or a Phineas, someone who would have taken action and done what needed to be done right away. Maybe these priests thought, well, we're above this manual labor. That's not our job. Or perhaps they thought, well, the king will never know if these breaches don't get repaired. But whatever their thought process was, they disobeyed the king's command. The why doesn't matter. They disobeyed the king's command. So verse 7, Then king Jehoash called for Jehoiada the priest and the other priests, and said unto them, Why repair ye not the breaches of the house? Now, therefore, receive no more money of your acquaintance, but deliver it for the breaches of the house. Now the time for accountability has come. If you receive the order to repair the breaches with what the Lord has given you, and you don't do it, be sure that you're going to give an account to God, just as the priest gave an account to the king. I'm going to read a passage from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 16 through 17. Hebrews 13, verses 16 through 17, where it says, "But to do good and to communicate—that means to to give or distribute—forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased." Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. In that Hebrews passage, the word communicate is the same as the word contribution, or contribute but its contribution in Romans 15:26 so we use the word communicate when we refer to talking to each other or maybe corresponding through email or text message or some other way but in the king james translation the word communicate carried the meaning of the word contribution or contribute So it had to do with giving money, but it was much more than giving money. It's about fellowship, it's about communion. I have fellowship and communion, economically speaking, with my electric provider. I send them the exorbitant amount of money they require, and they keep my electricity on. And when I don't, they don't. When I break fellowship, they break fellowship. But the writer of the Hebrew passage is showing here that there is a mutual responsibility between the church and its elders. And in our passage, it would be between the children of Israel and the priests over the Lord's house. Here's that responsibility, that mutual responsibility. The church, the people, contribute, communicate. The elders receive those contributions and watch for the souls of the people, guard for the souls. In other words, we make sure the doctrine we teach is good for the souls of the people. And those elders must give an account to the Lord and to the people, by the way, of the things over which they are responsible. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? In fact, it is a biblical principle that with responsibility comes accountability both to the people and to the Lord now the priests in our second kings passage may have had a thinking error that led to their sinful omission that is they didn't do what they were supposed to and that was sinful they may have been like some religious leaders today who believe they're above correction and they say something like this well I'll answer to God for that you're absolutely right, but that does not mean you don't answer to the people as well. And these religious leaders, both then and now, believe that that attitude puts them above criticism. It puts them above correction for their wicked ways. Now listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote. If anyone would have had the standing among his fellow brethren to say, hey, I don't answer to you, I answer to the Lord only. It would have been Paul. Well, that's not how he was. That's not how he rolled. Listen to what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 1. Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, although Paul knew that the chief accountant The one to whom he must ultimately give an account for all that he did was the Lord. His writing tells us that it is also important, it is also scriptural, that when a man, he said let a man, when a man looks at the leaders of the church, that man should be able to account that those leaders are ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So in other words, when I have to give an account to you about what I teach up here, I'm accountable to you as well as the Lord that I teach you that I'm a minister of Christ and a steward of the mysteries of God. I'm accountable to God and also accountable to man, specifically those in the church. These priests were accountable to God and the king and also to the people. So Jehoash said, why repair ye not the breaches of the house? Notice Jehoash did not ask why. He didn't ask whether the priests repaired the breaches in the house. He said, why have ye not? He already knew those breaches were still in disrepair. Either he saw them himself, or maybe one of his trusted associates said, Hey, Jehoash, I was there when you gave the command. You ought to see that place. Well, get the popcorn out, because this proves to be an interrogation that you won't forget. Occasionally, I'll have to chase someone down the interstate in my patrol vehicle and That driver takes an exit before I can catch up to them. And I know what they're doing. They're trying to evade me. And so i get them stopped and talk to them and find out that the driver's going from Dallas to somewhere in Arkansas, somewhere way east of our county. So what's my question? Why did you take this exit? And, man, you ought to see the look on their face. And that's the look on the priest's face that I can imagine here because I can see the gas gauge and if they say well I needed gas I'll say well looks like you've got three quarters of a tank and there are no gas stations on this exit we have an exit in our county exit 74 and we call it the exit to nowhere you take the exit and get back on and there's not a store or a house there's nothing between the exit and the entrance ramp so there's no reason to take it unless you're from around here But can you imagine the look on their faces when he said, why have you not repaired the breaches of the house? They're caught red-handed. Breaches. Not breach. Every neglect of every breach had its own explanation due. So, let's say I had three chores that My father gave me to do at the house while he was gone. To take out the trash, to mow the lawn, and to clean the bathroom. Those three. And when he got back, if I had done none of those, he would ask, why have you not done your chores? Plural. Well, each one of those chores has an explanation to it. Now in my case it probably would have been the same. I didn't want to. I would have never said that, but that was really that's really why the child didn't do it. I don't want to. Why didn't you clean the, the bathroom? Well we were out of we were out of bathroom cleaner. Okay? Why didn't you mow the lawn? It wouldn't start. See, but there's an explanation due for every one of those chores. And with these breaches, let's say one of the breaches was a the the door, the front door was out of whack, and another breach was that one of the table legs was was broken, and another one was there was a hole in the ceiling. There's an explanation due for each of those breaches. Jehoash knew there were many breaches, and there were many priests who were called to account. You notice in our text, at the end of verse 7, after he asked the question, there were no answers from the priest. They didn't have anything to say. That was their number one and only job is to take care of the house of the Lord, and they didn't even do that. They couldn't say, well, we got tied up on our secondary employment, we we were on a journey to a far country. No, they were in the Lord's house, and they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. They were caught. They had nothing but lies to offer, so they just didn't say anything at all. And by the way, it's much better to say nothing than it is to lie. Just don't open your mouth if you're going to lie. Don't say anything. So let's give them that. At least they did not work up some false outward expression of repentance. And next week, when we come back to this verse, we're going to see what Jehoash told them to do now. Let's be dismissed in prayer. Father, thank you for the truth and the clarity of your word and for the lessons you teach us if we'll just take them to heart. Help us by your Spirit today to resist the lust of the flesh that wants to disobey you, Father, and to be yielded to the Spirit that we may be instruments of righteousness and be pleasing to you.